Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creatives along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Hey y'all. Okay, here we are. We are at the end of season four and we are ending right back where we started. We have Steph back on the show. She just got back from an epic fifth wedding anniversary trip to South Africa with her hubby Storm. And we're going to chat about what that experience was like for her and how that has and will influence her art. You know, she shared in episode one that she is working on a one woman show that is based on her family and her upbringing. So she's going to bring us up to speed and give us an update on that. And we're also going to talk about where we are with these artist dates and these morning pages and what's next for us. Here is part two with Steph Williams. Okay, so tell us about South Africa. That is the artist date of all artist dates, okay? Ooh, South Africa was so timely. My husband and I, we usually do like this big trip for our anniversary every year. We wanted to make it extra special because it was our five years. And five years is like the graduation, the bubble pop, you know, this is real life. You know, we've been together for such a long time, but somehow even being together for a while and getting married, it just felt like we were learning each other all over again. So to me, this trip had to be epic. And it was like, what's more epic than Africa? Like what's epic than the motherland? So that's where we went. And we've never touched down there. So we ventured out to South Africa and dipped our toes in the beautiful motherland. And it was amazing. Very spiritual trip, I feel. What did you see? What did you learn? Like, what were your thoughts coming back? I learned so much. It was emotional, I think. Because, I, you know, I'm a Pisces, so I feel everything. You do feel everything. And I didn't know that was because you're a Pisces. Oh, yeah. We, we have a problem. We really do. We, that explains a lot, actually. It does. Yeah. Um, we absorb a lot. <laughs> and that's why I need to kind of like, you know, stay back sometimes, like kind of isolate because it, it gets that real. But going there was an experience to be in Africa, first and foremost, to just even have that privilege and opportunity of traveling and, and to go to a country that has so much history so much history I didn't even learn of. Like, first off, I wasn't even, it didn't really dawn on me or hit me that apartheid ended in 1994 and I was in existence. So while the whole world, like civil rights ended at, like in 64 out here in America, like they were still going through that up to 1994. So just going there, there was like a, a lingering air of oppression. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was interesting when you told me that, that you could feel it in the air. I felt it in the air. And I was like, wow, this must be what it felt like for when I was little and we were kids and oblivious to what our parents felt because it was like maybe 30 years or so from civil rights movement. Like it just felt very, I don't know, oppressive, I guess you would say. Now I'm getting emotional with all these things. Everything is overwhelmed in my head. But there was like a a line divide and we just experienced it without even 
just just being there and feeling it, it was just, it was a lot. How do they receive you? Especially with you coming from America, being with your husband, you and Storm have a very kind of like like an equal partnership where y'all, you know, with you two together, it's like you're friends, you're hanging out, y'all have like a really interesting vibe with the two of you. I mean, and there, it sounds like they're very kind of like maybe have a little bit more traditional where it's like the woman kind of takes a back seat and it's kind of like maybe seen and not heard as much, right? Like, so were they looking at you like, oh my gosh, who is this empowered black woman? I didn't even know what they were looking at because apparently what I learned is like, there's like three groups of people. <laughs> See, it's like they have the blacks, they have the coloreds and the whites. And, you know, being in America, having a drop of black blood, you're considered to be black. And that seems to be changing now because it's like mixed people are having their say where they're like, listen, I'm, I'm a little of everything. But growing up, for me, it was like, if you have a drop of black blood, you're black. Out there, it's clear, like, you're not black, you're mixed, you're, you're part of the colored clan. And it's like a hierarchy or something. The colored people, they have a hierarchy, then they're a little bit higher in the totem pole than the black people. And what part of South Africa? Let's make sure. I don't know if you, you said. We were in Cape Town. Cape Town. My first taste of Africa was, was that. So that was, that kind of caught me off guard. So us, you know, my husband and I walking through Cape Town, I felt like we, because our types wouldn't be together. Like we were kind of like taboo in a way, you know? And I felt like people saw that when we walked down the street. Like I felt like we were literally walking in a courage of love. <laughs> like like we were a taboo relationship or something. And explain that to the, the listeners, your background and also your husband's background so that they understand what, you're, what, you, what you mean by that. Okay, well, I'm mixed. <laughs> my mother, she is Belizean, but of East Indian descent. And my father, he's African-American and white. I'm clearly mixed. <laughs> and my husband, he, he's Black. And that's that. He's Caribbean. I'm Caribbean. And we're just a, a melting pot of, of, of a couple, I guess you would say. I felt like we were walking in the courage of love when we were out there. It was... It felt different, you know? I felt like people were looking at us and I was wondering if it was just me, but I just felt like we felt so free walking. And I think it was just us feeling so free in general because we were American, you know? And there was still this this air of oppression over there. You know, Americans, we have a little bit more liberty in, in some ways, but even just being a person of color out there, it still felt like, we had a freedom that other people didn't have. But I don't know. That was just my experience. So it was a, a lot of history that I didn't know about the place. I wasn't aware. It didn't hit me that apartheid ended 1994. There were a lot of places there that had a lot of dark history, and that was just normal for everyone there. So that was interesting to go to a wine tasting and be in a facility that was actually a slave quarter. So we're having wine and this is actually where the slaves were held upstairs, right there, right above our head. Like it was just normal. It was just normal to go to speakeasy that happened to be in an old funeral home. And we were actually standing in the embalming room above the embalming pit. <laughs> like these are just normal things, you know? I mean, let's go back to the slave quarters that we were in just a you know, the, the woman actually who did our wine tasting was, was a sommelier and she, she is one of very few black women 
that is a sommelier and this is her space. And she was giving us the whole wine tasting tour. And her picture was where the slave quarters was up there. And I thought that was pretty profound. But also at the same time, it was just kind of sad too. It seems like a lot of the workers that were in um, South Africa were black. That seems, they all were actually, that's what I saw. And it seemed like the white people, they were, you know, they own things. They own the restaurants, they own the Airbnbs. And it was like a clear divide. And to me, that was just, I don't know, unsettling at times. But overall, just to see the beauty of Africa in itself, or that part of Africa was astounding. Like just seeing the water, seeing the Indian Ocean, the natural resources. Like it's just like, it was just in your face, beautiful. So it was just a sadness there, but then you still were in awe at the same time, you know, just like as we drove through the wineries, then at the same time, you're driving through the wineries at the end of the of a winery, there's a township. And this township is where they would send blacks to live during apartheid. And these townships were like literally houses that were made out of like aluminum and they were, they were stacked together, like really close to each other. And these are where people lived. And that to me was insane. Like these are the natives of this country and this is where they're living. And then these wineries are not owned by them. So it was, it's, I don't know, that part was really emotional to me and, and really stood out the most, especially because we were in Africa and Africa has been, so many of its resources have been taken and used, including the people. And one thing to go to the Caribbean and experience that, but to go to the motherland and see where it all started and see that still there. I'm sure other parts of Africa are different from what I've heard. And I do want to venture out to other parts of Africa because after seeing this is like, oh my God, this is a beautiful country. I want to see more. Yeah. I, I hope one day we do get to go out there and see that. Hopefully Ghana one day, <laughs> putting that out there. It was a very emotional and a beautiful trip at the same time. And even going to Robben Island where President Nelson Mandela was incarcerated for 18 years, it really stood out to me just the teachings of education and how important that was. Like you always know that education is power, but just seeing what people had to go through, I guess once again, and and seeing where that phrase, each one teach one came from. I, I think learning that and where it came from was transformative for me, for the things that I know of myself and the things I've learned and where I'm at in my journey as an artist. Each one teach one just makes, inspires and motivates me to want to teach other people what I know, because I think it's very important for us of people of color to teach the young, especially, and to keep on learning. I think that that hit me for where I am in my artist journey as I write about things that are very important to me, things I've learned from old generation, old generation past. So that to me was a transformative moment, just being there and understanding that in education and just like, wow, <laughs> we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And to just be there and just learn the history and witness it and see the beauty. It was just, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was a great trip. It was a great Gosh, I can't even imagine visiting the place where Nelson Mandela was like in prison for, how long was he in prison for? 18 18, 18 years. And seeing his cell and seeing where he wrote his book, A Walk to Freedom. And it was, and, you know, the cell was 
super small, two by two, you know, I'm like, and you saw that. Yeah, you went, you yeah went there. absolutely. And actually, there was a person, the person who did the tour, he was a, a ex-inmate at Robbins Island. He was incarcerated for like 15 years. Oh my gosh. Wow. I thought that that was kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Like he was leading the tour and telling people, this was his home for 15 years. And I thought that was a little unsettling. But at the same time, I'm like, I know what happens to people who are incarcerated. Like they don't really have many options to do as their job. So he could look at it as as something where he's empowering people and, you know, educating people. Or he could look at it like, man, he's forever tied to this place, you know, so for me, it was a mix of both. Like, man, like they're probably, maybe they, they're paying him well, or maybe he's, he would be doing better here working for Robbins Island than working somewhere else. Like it might be a catch 22, might not be, you know, but it was kind of a little unsettling to know that. But then it was kind of like, wow. <laughs> and people on our, in our group were like asking questions and, you know, we were probably one of four people people of color or just black folks <laughs> on the group. So other people were just like asking questions, like, what were you in for? Where were you incarcerated for? Like, you know, and for me, I was just like, ah, that's a lot of, I don't know if you should ask him that, but I wasn't even, sh- I wasn't even sure. I'm just, I just be careful to ask people personal questions like that. But then I understand why someone, anyone would ask because they're interested, they're curious. I always think about that when, I approach situations, right? Like what lens am I looking at it from in judging a situation the way it is? So that was just interesting, just being led by someone who was a former inmate in Robbins Island and telling us how everything, how everything was ran and just the history of the place. And just seeing there was, there was like this big hole in the, in the earth, like not, not a hole, but like a, a big landfill, I guess. And it's apparently was where they mined limestone. And so the inmates, they would mine the limestone and then there was a hole in this landscape that was like the cave. And that's where the inmates, the blacks would go and they would have their lunch. But also it was their lunchroom, which is basically a cave hole. And it was also their bathroom. So half of that little cave circle was a bathroom and their lunchroom. And that to me was insane, inhumane, you know, because there was different types of people that were incarcerated or educated people, not educated people. And that whole phrase that I had mentioned earlier, each one teach one. And lunchtime is where they would, you know, teach each other how to read or how to write without getting caught. Same thing as slavery, right? Because to me, being incarcerated is like modern day slavery. So all of the feelings <laughs> came from understanding that or knowing how, you know, you can get a lot in trouble. You were caught teaching someone how to read or write, but they understood the power of education. White folks understood the power of education. They didn't want you to be educated. They'll give you everything else, but they won't give you that. So they try to keep people apart from teaching each other. And that's why when learning about the phrase, each one teach one stood out for me and like how important it is to have education, how important it is for us to teach younger generations things that we learn 
every generation is supposed to teach someone something so that they can be better. I feel so. Like I've learned a lot from older generations and now we're the adults. Like when did that happen? To me, that just kind of hit home. It made me want to come home and finish this play. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to ask you. So I know it's like totally different subjects, but I wanted to know if there was something that you took from that experience, either from the experience or the idea of each one teach one that you felt has informed the one woman show that you're working on. Yes, I realize how important it is to create this work, but also how important it is to learn about the stories, the untold stories of the people who survived before us. You know, and I was just writing a play, well, a one-woman show, but I, I, I then thought, like, maybe these characters need more. Maybe they need to tell their stories, you know? And I was like, that is important, like, especially an older generation. Because if you don't learn about their stories, we have nothing to stand on for the future generation, right? You're just doing things without any real purpose. Learning about these stories, about these untold stories of people just makes you understand how important the work you do or how important it is how you walk in this earth is because we all have purpose. So for me, that drives me in learning about the stories that that nobody knows of, you know, because I didn't know some stories that were told on this tour. You know, I didn't know a lot of things. And then I'm learning about these new figures that were the head leaders in apartheid. And I'm like, I've never heard of this guy. And I've never heard that this happened. And so many people haven't heard a lot of things. And it made me understand the power of history and how we need to keep that alive and pass that on. And that's in, in my story, you know, centers around myself, but growing up with my parents who are older from an older generation, you know, the friction I've had growing up with older parents and not being able to understand them. And now that I'm older and diving into the history and where they came from empowers me to feel proud, but empowers me to do better, want to do better and want to actually help other people in that sense, because we don't, we don't understand what we don't understand when we're younger. But as we get older, everything starts making sense. So me creating my play, my show is about shining light on the stories of not only myself, but the untold stories of my mom and my father, the things that I had to discover to empower me to move forth the way I do and live this soft life. Because somebody had to go through the hard life to get to the soft life and just understand a lot of pieces, you know, connect the dots for a lot of things. So for me, that's, that's what it brought to my attention, but more so it just really made me want to like, wow, this is important. Telling these stories of the untold are important. Telling these untold stories of people who didn't have voices, how important that is. And um, what I love about this is the journey of this, because when we first started talking about your one woman show, a lot of it was very much about kind of like, you know, the frustrations of growing up with older parents and being an only child and just kind of like the, you know, the normal standard things that kids get annoyed about with their parents and the different misunderstandings that happen that are very universal. But as you've been talking about your parents and sharing more with me over, you know, the these weeks and you know months hearing when you t- when you told me more about your parents backgrounds i've been like 
shocked actually and been like, oh my gosh. And it's actually given me a different level of understanding of why things were the way that they were and why they might behave the way that they were or say different things or feel certain things. And it's actually helped me take what you've talked about. It's ha- it's helped me kind of like place that also on my parents, you know, mainly my mom, to be honest. I'm still working through da- daddy because I kind of, you know, that's a harder, that's a harder one to crack. There's no triggers. There's no triggers. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. But, you know, that helps me kind of get an idea of like, you know, well, this is kind of like what their what their relationship was with their parents. And this is the day and day, the time and day that they grew up in. And these are the different ideals or this is what culture was. This is what the world was doing and how so much of that informed parenting and ways of being and living. And so I thank you for that. So you, before even going to South Africa, you didn't even realize that you were already having that each one teach one thing going on. And so it's just, it's great that like, now that you're back, how you're able to kind of like crystallize it and put it all together. And as you say, kind of like put the pieces together, you know, it's really inspiring to watch that. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So how is the one woman show going? How, how is the writing on it? (sighs) Well, and look, this is, oh wait, and let me say, because I know that what that breath means, (laughs) who was it that I told you said that even if you're not technically physically writing, everything else that goes into the process of putting it together, that is a part of it. It was Mara Akil. That's who it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mara Brock Akil. Yes. Yes. She was saying that when she when she writes, quote unquote writes, writing could be research. It could be looking at other work that inspires her work. It could be doing some reading, you know, excavating. She was saying that all of that is a part of the writing. So you can include all of that in your update of how the writing is going. Oh, yeah. I guess with the travels too, that has definitely influenced it, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely have influenced that. I, I wrote a couple days since I've come home, but I can't say I have been completely consistent. It is frustrating at times, but I find when I force myself to sit down, like I force myself and I'm forcing myself because I have no, I don't want to do it because I, I think I'm trying to think too much about the finished product, you know, <laughs> as opposed to just being present with what I have. But when I force myself to put a to to just sit there and and write um you know well not write but on my computer stuff starts coming up and then I'm always in awe like the stuff that I write and I'm like oh shoot where this came from you know I think I do my best work when I force myself to sit down and that's something that I want to do more of that okay now what does that look like how do you force yourself <laughs> to sit down it looks like you gonna sit your down <laughs> and you you gonna write. Do you want to be a loser? Like I beat myself up. <laughs> okay, so it's like it's like the crazy self talk. You got confidence. You got time for your games. Your life is dependent on this. Okay, you found purpose. Put it to pen. Yes. Okay, and that works for you, is what you're saying. Yeah, it does. It does. I have to definitely guilt trip myself. I know it's bad. It's probably toxic. You know, I tell my, I tell myself to sit down. But I mean, I feel like God talks to me like that too, you know. <laughs> Not God cursing you out. Oh my God. Oh Jesus. No. Yes, he does. 
But you know, we have that relationship, so it's cool. But yeah, I have to really like kind of talk to myself in a way. I can't baby myself. I can't give myself the, the soft. Or the, or the excuses, right? Yeah, or the excuses. See, for me, I have to be up against a deadline is what I'm realizing. Like, it has to be like, okay, no, this is actually the final hour. You're actually late. <laughs> You're actually late. And this is like really bad. And it's like, it's only going to get worse. And so just like, do it. <laughs> Why? Why do we do that? I, I don't know. And I feel like there's a whole other world on the other side of that type of functioning. <laughs> I feel like there's a pot of gold on the other side. It's, but there is. It's like it's like this anxiety. It's like I like to be charged up, you know, just to just let it out. But you know what? Like I said, I'm still working through other things in my life, so it's it's hard. <laughs> life hands you so many things you got to work through, and I'm just trying to do the best that I can, even if it takes me. You know, I wouldn't say forever, but it takes me this long to get to the middle. And that's why I decided to, you know, disconnect for this last month. Ah, and just to focus on this. Okay. To focus on this. To focus on the artist's way and really show up intentionally for the last month of the year and write, you know, because I have my own deadline in my head. I don't want to put it out into the universe, but I want to do better. So I told myself, like, you know what? Take away distraction because... Watching other people's stuff is distraction for me, you know, because then it just reminds me, oh, you ain't doing enough or you doing this. And then I just get overwhelmed and I freeze. And I really don't have time to freeze. So I told myself that that's, that's part of my process in writing the end of this month. And just to bang out these last weeks of the artist way. You know what's been working for me when it works. This is not a regular thing. <laughs> but one thing I realized this season, when I say season, I mean like from September to now, right? So what is that? Like third quarter, fourth quarter. Whenever I am wanting to write, I think in my head, I need to have an hour or three hours, or it's like, I need to have this writing space and time where time stops and I'm just focusing on the writing. Okay, so what that has done is that's caused me to not write because I don't know. I, I don't usually have like long, uh, large blocks of time to do anything unless I'm getting up really early in the morning. I do then. But, you know, during the workday, no. And then after work, no, there's, there's always a lot of stuff going on. And so what has worked for me is I have, and I use Celtics. And the reason why I use Celtics is because I feel like not until I'm like really doing what I need to do, I'm not investing in final draft. Now, mind you now, Celtics is still an, an investment. <laughs> okay, I'm still paying for Celtics. But in my mind, I guess I just feel like final draft is for like the writers. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the people that are really putting it down. So I have Celtics and it, and it makes me feel like it also helps take the pressure off a little bit for me. So I'm like, oh, my, my little Celtics, you know, and I feel like a lot of newer writers use Celtics, okay? I have the app on my phone and I'll just write stuff. A couple of times I took transit. I wasn't on my phone because I was like, I need to have my head on a swivel. So, <laughs> so like if I'm in, you know, if I've taken a cab or a Uber or if I'm waiting, like if I'm waiting for something, you know, or whenever there's like a moment in between A and B, whenever there's a moment, right? And I'm like, oh, actually let me write, you know? And so I'll pull out my phone and instead of, you know, doing the doom scrolling or like, like you were saying, going to Instagram, looking at everybody's stuff or whatever, I will go to the app and I'll just write 
in the app, you know? And I'm like, oh, something about the thumbs. I think because, you know, when we type with her on our mobile devices, we're typing kind of fast. It's like, I'll, I'll kind of get some, some, some words up in there. And I'm like, oh, okay. And there's like no pressure because it feels like I didn't put all this weight on, oh, this is now the moment where I will meet the muse and <laughs> and write my masterpiece. It's like, oh no, I'm actually in between something and I'm, I'm stealing a quick like 10 minutes to do this or whatever. And I feel like I've done more writing that way for whatever reason, if I'm not, you know, if I don't get the go into the Celtics app, I will use my drafts and my email. Like I have, I have a really good piece that I want to transfer that I wrote into my drafts. I want to move it over to Celtics, you know? And I was like, oh, I think maybe this is how I'm going to finish writing my short. Like, you know, it's like kind of this way, you know, it just felt, I don't know. And something about the fact that there's like an end time, like a definite end time, it just makes me, it takes away all the other, all the other junk that we put and place on it when we feel like, oh, we have like all this time. I'm like, oh, I don't really have all the time. I'm, I'm taking a quick 10 minutes. Let me just jot this idea down so I don't forget it. I like what I just thought about and the wording or this, this piece of dialogue. Let me write this down so I don't forget it, you know? Because I would always be like, you know, I would be out and something would come to mind. I'd be like, oh, that was really funny. I should, I should do that. And then I would tell myself, oh, you're going to remember that when you sit down for that five hour writing situation. <laughs> and of course I would never do, I would never be sitting down for the five hours to write. And I would never remember what it was that came to mind. So I was like, Oh, that really kind of worked. And instead of judging it, I was like, girl, just go with it. Just go with it and see what happens at the end of whatever. Like when you compile enough of these, like, you know, 10 to 15 minute pieces of, of whatever, see what comes of it, you know? So that has seemed to work for me right now. Q3 and Q4, that is what's working for me. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, th- I think I was considering just reducing my time and see if that's going to work. An hour, 30 minutes, you know, something that, that actually seems reasonable and then see where that takes me. If it goes past 30 minutes, okay, I'm inspired. I'm writing more than 30 minutes. That's great. But I think giving myself an hour just sounds like a lot. That's too, that's my whole day. Yeah, you lose your whole day. Right. (laughs) So I'm thinking maybe I should try that approach, you know, this month as I, you know, like I said, I'm getting more intentional with that. And I'm not thinking I'm going to do that. Because that's even with the whole, the, the artist way, the morning pages, right? It's just coming back to that. I feel like you should have a routine. A routine helps you kind of go into the day smoothly. But when your routine is long and withdrawn, it freezes me, you know? It's just, now it's just too much. It took up the whole of my day. But if I kind of condense everything, then it usually works out. I'm going to try that approach and see, because I don't think I could do the whole writing notes and stuff on an app. That that probably wouldn't work for me, because I'm always in transit. <laughs> Girl. I am always in transit with my head always on the swivel, <laughs> you know? Ah, uh-huh. I can't mess it up. Not in New York City. I can't mess it up. I was going to say, you know how I feel about that. Right on a swivel. So yeah, especially with your commutes. It's like, uh-uh, you going through boroughs, you going through neighborhoods, different people, head on a swivel. <laughs> not in New York City. Not, not, not in 2022. Knocking on 23. Mm-mm. 
Okay, so speaking of the morning pages, I thought it was a very interesting how you went to go get a new journal for your morning pages, and you found a journal that said what on the front of it, and tell us why this is such, this, I thought this was such a great moment of synchronicity. It said, bloom where you are planted, and... That is something that my grandmother would often say that as a kid, and I didn't really understand what she was saying or what that meant, but she would say, bloom where you are, not bloom where you are planted. And in the bouts of my procrastination (laughs) and knowing that I I was actually, you know, I wanted to get a, a notebook and I didn't get around to it at this particular store. And I looked up and there was just a notebook random. And I was like, oh, I need to get one of these. I picked it up and that's what it said. And I've kind of procrastinated from writing for a couple of days. So seeing that was kind of, was a sign or something. I was like, what? Grandma, what's going on? But yeah, bloom where you are planted. Because sometimes I could get into my head, wish things were different, you know, get into my anxiety, just get into my steps. you know, feel like I should be further along in my career. I should be doing this at this time, you know, because society says that at a certain age, you should have this, 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 and that. And then when you see other people celebrating this, 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 and that around you, and, you know, you you feel like maybe I should have been in this space, saying that mantra grounds me because it's like, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And instead of looking at these other distractions and other journeys, concentrate on my journey and nurture that. What do I have in my hands that I could work with? You know, gratitude. Think about that. What can I be grateful for? What can I use? What do I have within me that can allow me to to stretch myself that I may be further along? And just that itself, bloom where you are planted, kind of grounded me in that moment because I was having my moments before this, before me even seeing this this notebook. And I was like, this is perfect. This was a message from God. He needed me to see that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You do have what you need. You have everything that you need for yourself to get where you need to go right within yourself. That's perfect timing. And one of the things I've been telling myself that really does help me with that kind of stuff, right? And that kind of mental mind craziness or whatever, monkey mind, is that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Because if I weren't where I was supposed to be, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Clearly, this is where I'm supposed to be. Because if not the case, then I, I wouldn't be here. You know, And that helps me a lot. That definitely helps me kind of ring it in. And then I think about, well, since I am here, what are the benefits of being where I am right now? Why is this why is this useful to me and why is this a good thing? And I, if when you do it that way, I, you usually will come up with some really good reasons why where you are is actually a great place to be. Absolutely. And what, what are you learning from where you're at? You know, because right. if you kind of like lead by those things you just mentioned. You'll look up and you'll be further where you started and you don't even know how you got there, but you got there because you weren't focused on woe is me or why me? Because you learned a lesson and you stayed your own course and you were intentional about it, you know? So that to me is, is, is how I kind of move, try to navigate, you know? Yes. Well, we all have our good balls and sometimes we need to be reminded by a simple book that's like in the middle of the kitchen jangles and Christmas stuff to tell you exactly what you need at where you're at at that moment. And then you, you push forward. That to me is God. <laughs> 
Well, you talked about your artist date, your epic artist date, South Africa. I'm just going to touch on really quickly about my artist dates or my morning pages and my artist dates. My morning pages have not been going well, but <laughs> what has been going well. But it's December 1st. So you got some time. I still got time, right? I still got time. It's, we still got a whole month to go, right? <laughs> There's always time, right? There's always tomorrow. Hopefully, we, we hope. But I did. When I was in New York, there were a lot of plays that I wanted to see before I left. Because when I returned to New York, they will not be. They will no longer be there. And so I <laughs> took myself on a marathon tour of plays. It's very stressful because I work a job where, you know, sometimes we work overtime. You know, I have to travel to these plays. And, you know, like I was saying, I'm not a big mass commuter these days right now while New York is figuring out what's going on there. <laughs> Costs a little bit of a pretty penny for me to get downtown these days, you know? And with it getting dark earlier, I'm not on the city bikes like I usually am. Mind you now, just, I want to just sidebar, I wipe down the city bikes, people, okay? Because I think people are like, oh my gosh, she's on the city bikes like all the time. Oh, I trust and believe I have my little Lysol wipes and I wipe those babies down. Okay. I carry my wipes with me. Okay. So anyway, just, just a little sidebar, but you know, it gets dark now early. So I was not on the city bikes going down there. So all that to say, it was quite an investment doing this marathon tour. Thank you for employment because I would not have been able to do this if I were not working the type of jobs I'm working right now. I definitely want to say that. Oh, another sidebar. One of the things I want to do when whatever happens that's going to happen is I feel like I would love to create something where we buy seats for artists to be able to go see these plays. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Even today, ticks is expensive. Like even with the discount, I'm like y'all, like, is this really a discount after the fees and everything? I mean, I, it's, it's insane. I might not eat this month, actually. No, I'm, I'm going to eat. But. I honestly feel like they should let people, I have a degree. Y'all should just let me in. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I'll have my Oscar. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Or I'm like, you know, like, uh, I'm like, can't one of these, like, can't a group of artists get together and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to like, you know, and they can come up with the criteria, whether you're like a student, you know, in a training program or you're writing something. I don't know what it would be, but that's my goal. And for so mind boggling, I would love to create something where it's like we help people get in these seats, you know, and I mean, I was like in the back of the house and these tickets were expensive. Okay. But moving on from there, the great thing, but see, look at that, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be, right? Because one thing that I learned from being at the, I went to seven plays in five weeks, okay? One main thing I learned about that is when you're in the back of these houses, you know what I mean? This taught me, I was like, oh, I got to work on my vocal work. I, I really do need, I should be doing vocal exercises every day because you can tell the difference, you know, with a well-trained, oiled up, lubricated, you know, ready to go voice, resonant voice versus ones that you're like, wait, what they say? What, what was that? Huh? What? Or, you know, and even if it wasn't the voice, maybe it was presence, Maybe it was kind of like a groundedness, right? That was able to reach us in the back corners, creases of the theater, you know, versus maybe others where it wasn't. So I learned, I was like, oh, this is a very great exercise here. And just kind of like seeing how important it is for the training. You know what I mean? The training is super important. All of it, not just the lines, not just the emotions, but like presence, the aura, the vocal work, the intention, the groundedness depth, all of that, you know, like the homework, you know, like, can I feel you in your toe? Can I feel that you mean what you're saying down 
to the tips of your toes, you know? And honestly, that itself is what gave me a great appreciation for people who are trained in Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. They are the real MVPs. Yeah, you're right. Because that's that's not easy material. That is not easy. That is so important. I I know who was trained in Shakespeare when they show up with all of those things you just mentioned. Yes. So I'm going to run down the seven that I went to. So I went to Inkedwell, which was at East 59th Street. I went to Top Dog Underdog. I went to Death of a Salesman. I went to A Strange Loop. I went to Downstate. And then I went to Cost of a Living. I'm going to see the piano lesson in January, actually. I wasn't able to squeeze that one in. I try, but I just ran out of time. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot the seventh one. But anyway, what I want to say is that it was great seeing old plays, A Death of a Salesman, Top Dog Underdog. It was great seeing those plays. And I had actually seen Top Dog Underdog back in 2002. So it was great to see kind of like the evolution of that, right? Because when I saw it, it was with Jeffrey Wright in the role of Lincoln. And then it was most deaf in the role of Booth. That's an amazing cast too. Yes. Um, and so it was great to see the evolution 20, like literally 20 years, exactly 20 years later, especially because like now I'm 20 years older. So it was interesting what I took in and how I, took it in differently. This year it's with Corey Hawkins in the role of Lincoln, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He plays the role of Booth. I thought it was, I thought it was, I loved that. I loved being able to see how it differed 20 years later. So I was like, oh, as an artist, this is really good, right? It's really good to go to see these things, right? And then if it comes back, it's great to go again and just kind of see like, what you learned from it differently? How did it How did it impact you? How did it touch you? What did you derive from it that maybe you didn't derive from, you know, earlier when you first saw it? I thought it was great seeing Death of a Salesman with the fact that they reimagined it with an all-Black cast. So I was fascinated how a lot of the dialogue really it, it stuck. Like I was like, well, that's interesting because when this was written, this was definitely this was definitely for an all white cast. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this totally sticks today, you know. And just knowing different things about black culture and history and all that, it just had a whole different kind of like richness on the dialogue and the story. And it was, I mean, it was beautiful. Love that. And I love myself some Wendell Pierce. I'm like, ooh, Wendell Pierce. Okay. And talk about a voice. Wendell Pierce got that voice as a Sharon Clark and the other actors as well, you know. But I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. So that was great. Okay, so two other things. So then with A Strange Loop, it was great to see Michael R. Jackson. He is a newer playwright. And so I loved listening to and seeing a newer playwright's work on Broadway because it was super modern and he's telling his story. I thought that that was fascinating. He was very bold, very raw. I felt like I learned not only about him, but also about a different group of people. I just thought that his fearlessness, I was like, wow, okay. And I was like, well, I guess that's that's what really theater is about, right? Is like, you know, you tell your story and you tell it unapologetically and you let the chips fall where they may fall. Because I mean, I was kind of shocked at some of the things that he said. I was like, oh my God. And I'm looking around like to see like, oh my gosh, how does every, how is everybody else taking this, you know? So I was fascinated by that. 
And the fact that he was able to make it to Broadway with that material, I was like, okay. And then with Downstate, same thing. You know, when you're writing something that it could be kind of controversial or very not your run-of-the-mill play, you know, and you're talking about some things that people don't really talk about a lot or a different angle. So maybe if we're talking about like something that's a moral issue, right? Like with Downstate, right? It's about basically a group of men that have committed sex crimes against children and they are now in this group home, right? It's like, I know how I feel about that when I hear these stories in the news. I know how I feel about that, very strong opinion about it. But it's like, I never imagine, I never in a million years would even think like, oh, what's their life like? Like, what what is their day-to-day like? And what are they thinking about? It's like, you don't want to know. No, you don't want to know. And so that's why I was I was like, oh, I have got to go to this play because I'm like, what angle is the playwright going to take on that? You know what I mean? Like, what, what what is he trying to say? What's his message, you know? And it just was very interesting to me, you know, I guess this idea of like people being people and all of us sharing humanity. And I think the playwright was very it seemed that he was actually being very careful about what he thought because he actually didn't really present an opinion. At least I don't think I got an opinion from, you know, what he wrote. And I kind of feel like I think that that was one thing that was missing, you know, because I was like, oh, I kind of feel like I want to know, like, what do, what do you think about this? You know, but I also understand as a playwright, you want to kind of just put it out there and let people kind of get what they what they feel themselves. Right. You don't want to tell people how to feel. But I just thought that that was interesting. The idea of looking at life through the lens of someone that I guess you would think doesn't really deserve that. It made me think like, wow, that's interesting. Cause I, I, I do have a very strong opinion about it. If I wrote that play, I would have been very judgmental and you would have, <laughs> you would have known what I felt and you know what I thought about it. And so that taught me like, okay, when I'm writing my story, maybe I could also step back and not do that. Let's see. I don't know. Maybe it's an exercise to see like, what would that feel like if I didn't put all of my very strong opinions and thoughts on it? So all that to say, I loved those artist dates and I love that I was like, oh, this is why, especially us as artists, we have to go see these things because I feel like just going to the seven plays was like I took a course in something. I took a course in it. I feel like I took a course in like just so many things, you know, storytelling, you know, I was saying all the training, the voice work, you know, the the, biz, the physical work, you know, all of that, the movement, you know. So I was like, oh yeah, I definitely need to make sure. And I always go to theater, but something about the fact that I went to seven plays in the five weeks, it was like an intensive. It was like being in an intensive. And so that was great. So those, those are my artist dates. I'm honestly inspired. And I think that's what we should be doing as artists. We should always be checking out art. We should always be seeing plays. We should always be watching new shows. We should be going to museums. We should just be kind of immersing ourselves in different art, you know, just so we can get inspired. And it it helps us with our art. And we don't even know that, you know, it's just something subconscious. It's just like us doing the morning pages and, and going on the artist date. All of those things and surrounding yourself, immersing yourself in that world affects your art and what you put on the paper. So um, you've inspired me. I'm definitely going to look into some of the plays that you mentioned this month as I kind of disconnect and do my own little intensive. And I'm really excited about it because you gave me some good background on your experience. And thank you for sharing because that is pretty cool. I like that. There's so so much good theater happening right now. 
There is. And I already know what I want to see in the new year. So I'm going to send you a list and maybe we can go together. Okay, let's do it. Even though what you said, you were like, no, artist dates are by yourself. But still, like, we, we should definitely go and then, like, talk about it after, yeah, you know? Definitely go. And you can sit over there and I can sit over there and pretend we don't know no but yeah definitely we could do that yes well staff thank you so much for coming back you know just to wrap this up really quickly do you want to say you said that for december you're focusing on the soft life okay and i am as well the soft life that's because i hate that soft life trend is going on it just sounds so crazy to me like i i just feel like there just needs to be uh understanding that yes you can have the soft life but there's some things to learn in the hardness of it all too right so there's always something to learn actually you learn the most in the hard life <laughs> oh you do I, I hate to say it but you do yeah let's not skip the journey what is it? What do they say? Pressure turns turns, thing, turns into diamonds. Yep. Mm -hmm. turns Very into true. Diamonds. So I mean, I'm not saying everybody has to go out here and live some kind of hard life, but like, let's not let's not snub it. Okay. No. Some things that that you have to take the long way, and there's some things that you could just allow yourself to have that ugh, soft life, you know. But no, but seriously, I'm with it. So thank you for having me on the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. We are going to finish up our artist way this month. And we're just I think we're just going to continue on with what we're doing. And you know, another one thing I've learned is that I just have to be more gentle with myself. Like, <laughs> like, I just feel like girl, you're doing what you can. So, you know, be gentle. So so thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I'll see you after this or <laughs> talk to you after this after I after I stop record. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 